0: Good morning, brothers and sisters. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it, even as it gets cold. (laughs) My name is Mark Hediger. I'm blessed, honored, and humbled to be the pastor at Stratford Salisbury Center and Middleville United Methodist Churches, where we expect miracles, recognize miracles, and celebrate miracles together. Amen. And we do. We don't just speak it, we mean it. Uh, the only announcement I have this morning is that I'm still looking for military pictures, so if you have pictures of veterans or yourself as a vet, uh, please send them to me and I will get them on our Facebook page. Again, my email is pastor mark h uh, one word Pastor Mark H at aol.com Thank you this morning's memory verse comes from Joel 212. It reads, Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Let us pray. Father God, we worship you for the grace to gather in your presence today. Accept our thanks in Jesus' name. Manifest your presence during our time this morning. According to your word, every good and perfect thing comes from above, from your throne, O Lord. Give us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. Endow us with the power to do all things because we know in you we can do all things through Christ that strengthens us. Abide with us this morning, O Lord. Accept our sacrifice of praise and worship and let us go back home refreshed and filled with unspeakable joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Please join me with the call to worship. We are people of God, created to love. We will love the Lord, our God, with heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are people of God, determined to love. We will love our neighbors and treat them as we would be treated. We love neither from a sense of obligation nor to gain popularity or favor. We choose to love both the lovely and the unlovable because God, because love Imitates God's nature. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This morning's Lady Scripture comes from Acts 2 16 through 21. Acts 2 16 through 21. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We move to Joy's concerns and testimonies this morning. Um, And I just literally 20 minutes ago, received a joy. My neighbor who's in the hospital uh, with COVID has been, is still on vent, I guess. Um, Got some great news. His wife texted me and said she is, I think he's been in there about three weeks, but she is uh, allowed to go see him today. And it's the first time in three weeks. So um, we lift them up in prayer this morning. I'm sure there are other Uh, Joys that that we can share, that we can give to the Lord this morning. And I unfortunately know that there are many concerns that we need to lift up as well. But God wants to hear them. He tells us to, even though he knows them uh, beforehand, he wants us to to talk to him, to have that relationship with him. So uh, this morning as we pray, I would ask you to just lift those things up to your Father. Just have a conversation with him. Let us pray. Our prayer today is for all those who've been betrayed, who don't know loyalty, who fear to trust or to love, and who don't know, don't realize they're already loved by you, Father. Our prayer today is for the overworked and the underpaid, for those in dangerous work and those in compassionate work, for those who long to work but are denied the opportunity. Our prayer today is for the church, for all the branches of the vine, including this one, we gather as part of today. The body of Christ, the people of Christ, for whom the Lord our God is one. We will love you with all our heart, all our soul, and all our strength. Our prayer today is for those who lie close to our hearts, those whom we worry about, those whom we miss, and those who carry burdens at this time. We ask you to hear our prayers and heal our minds, our bodies, and our spirits. Amen. The title to this morning's message is Opened Minds. Opened Minds. Last week, we began looking at the Holy Spirit's role in the New Testament. We discussed the Spirit's role in the birth of Jesus and the angels' announcements to both Joseph and Mary. We pointed out how the Spirit allowed Elizabeth and John the Baptist recognized Jesus while he was still in the womb. We were reminded that Jesus was both fully God and fully man, and therefore needed the Holy Spirit to guide, teach, and encourage him, just like we do. We use Christ's 40 days of fasting and temptation as proof of his need for the Holy Spirit. How else could man endure that time in the desert? We ended with a challenge to read ahead and look for the work of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. I challenge you to seek answers to questions like, how could Jesus have seen Nathaniel under the fig tree? My prayer would be that the work of the Spirit was evident in your reading. Now, I intended to give a message today on how the Spirit affects individual believers. However, while I was preparing, I felt we needed to go over a few more examples first to set that up. I'd like to begin with the promise of Jesus sending the Spirit in John 16, 7. He said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then he tells them and us the role of the Holy Spirit in verses 8 through 15. He said, And when he comes, He will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and you will see me no longer. About judgment, because the ruler of this world has been condemned. He said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own but will speak whatever he hears and he will declare to you the things that are to come he will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you all that the father has is mine for this reason i said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you and then in luke 24 40 through 44 through 47 Luke shows one of the interactions between our risen Christ and the disciples. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So, hopefully, we're learning as we go along to ask questions. So, the question here should be, how did he open their minds to understand the scriptures? We find that answer in John 20, 19-23. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, <clears throat> in my opinion, it's safe to assume that this was a partial filling of the Holy Spirit and not the full measure. We can make this assumption because we know that on the day of Pentecost, they were completely filled with the Holy Spirit. There would be no need to be filled more than once. And if they were filled with the Holy Spirit at this time, then why didn't they immediately recognize Jesus standing on the shore when they were fishing later in Scripture? Remember when Peter and the six other disciples decided to go fishing? John 23-4 read, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Now, if they were filled with the Spirit, without measure, they would have recognized Jesus. We can make this statement because we know that John the Baptist, filled with the Spirit even before birth, recognized Jesus from the womb. So this must be a partial filling of the Holy Spirit. We know that he promised a full measure of the Holy Spirit in Luke 24:49. He said to them, I am sending upon you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Jesus is directing them to wait for the full power of the Holy Spirit to clothe them before they take on their new ministry of spreading the gospel to the world. We turn to Acts and read what many scholars consider an extension, <clears throat> excuse me, or a continuation of the book of Luke. <clears throat> excuse me. In Acts 1, 1 through 5, Luke opens with a testimony of the risen Christ and his promise of their baptism with the Holy Spirit. He writes this In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven after given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And just before his ascension, he promised them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the first thing I'd like to point out here is that this power Jesus is promising is no ordinary power as the world understands it. Now, let me ask you, even those of you at home, let me ask you, when you hear the word power, what comes to mind? What's, what are a couple of things you think of when you hear the word power? Just yell it out. You know I can't hear you, but yell it out anyway. What do you think of when you hear the word power? Well, the dictionary defines power as the ability or capacity to act or do something effectively or a specific capacity, faculty, or aptitude, or physical strength or force exerted or capable of being exerted. So that's the world's definition. But this doesn't even come close to the power that Jesus promised. The Greek definition for the word power used here is dunamis. Dunamis. It means special, miraculous power, ability, might, in abundance miracle power strength and mighty wonderful work quite a difference between the two again as i said last week we need to be careful when we just read through the scripture and take it for you know for granted what we're reading sometimes we have to look into it and that word power has a significant difference between the world and what jesus was talking about so jesus promised miraculous power, special, miraculous power, ability, might, and strength to do mighty, wonderful work. It makes sense. And a side note, we are promised that same power, but more on that next week. The second thing to note is that these disciples will be witnesses, but not in the same fashion as John the Baptist. Remember, we agreed John witnessed by his words, making an oath to what he saw and heard concerning Jesus. Well, these disciples would not only use their words as an oath, but they would use signs, miracles, and wonders through the power of the Holy Spirit. So now we watch together Jesus ascends to our Heavenly Father, leaving his disciples and us to do the work of the Father. We then hear the account of about 120 disciples waiting in that upper room, praying in one accord, and worshiping God together. We should take note of the disciples' posture here as they wait for their next task, their next mission. We see that they're separated from the world. We see that they're surrounded by fellow believers. And that brought to mind for me that beautiful proverb, iron sharpens iron. We see that they were in one accord, one mind, supportive and encouraging one another, and they were no longer vying for the position of honor. They eagerly awaited the promise of the Father together, the filling of the Holy Spirit. We, too, are called to be still and listen for the direction of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Matthew Henry said, That blessed dove comes not where there is noise and clamor. It moves upon the face of the still waters, not the rough ones. Our churches would do well to learn from this time spent in the upper room. The church body should be at one accord, agreeing to be at peace together and love each other as the disciples did. So now we then see Matthias being promoted to the rank of apostle, replacing the traitor Judas in Acts 1.26. And they cast lots for them, and a lot fell on Matthias. And he was added to the 11 apostles. Now, if you're like me, I originally struggled with the thought of rolling Dice to decide who would become apostle. Now, this was years ago, of course, uh, before studying. But it upset me trying to think, well, why would you just leave it to chance? So I I looked it up, of course. This casting of lots wasn't a simple game of chance. It was a method used by the Jews of the Old Testament and by the disciples prior to Pentecost to determine the will of God. Proverbs 16.33 reminds us The lot is cast into the lap, but the decision is the Lord's alone. Now, I I read lots could be sticks with markings, stones with symbols, uh, etc. They were thrown into a small area, and then the result was interpreted. And as I went through uh, looking all this up, researching, I was surprised. The Bible cites many instances of people casting lots, and it seems to be used when important decisions needed to be made when there was not enough guidance provided through wisdom or scripture. I was very surprised to discover the casting of lots is actually mentioned 70 times in the Old Testament. It was used in connection with the division of the land under Joshua. It was used to determine various offices and functions in the the temple. And in the case of Jonah, it was used to determine who had brought God's wrath upon the ship. <clears throat> we know the Roman soldiers cast lots for Jesus' garments, but this wasn't to seek guidance from the Holy Spirit. With them, it was simply a game of chance. A winner takes all, if you will. So here we see the work of the Holy Spirit in the selection of the 12th apostle. We move to Acts 2 and we witness how God, God's victorious, Spirit-filled church was birthed on the day of Pentecost. Verses 2 through 4 describe the miracle of the filling. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues, as of fire, appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, as the Spirit gave them ability." Now many commentators that I looked up, like in the rush of wind here, to the breath of God, breathing life into the lifeless body of Adam. Adam received birth through the breath of God, and now the disciples receive life, or rebirth, through that same breath. I like the sound of that. And of course, we know John the Baptist's prophecy, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, has now been fulfilled. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and all of them began to speak in various tongues. The Bible says that people from every nation under heaven who came to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost heard the mighty acts of God being declared in their own language, supernaturally, and of course through the work of the Holy Spirit. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, preached the gospel, and 3,000 souls were saved that day. So now we enter a new era, we enter an era with the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit to those who come to Christ. We continue to witness his mighty acts as we read the rest of the book. We witness the boldness of those preaching the gospel and the effect of the Spirit on the hearts of those listening. Acts 2.47 tells us, Day by day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. See, the Holy Spirit convicted those who listened and hearts were changed. Repentance was asked for, and forgiveness was received. We witness the signs, wonders, and miracles done by the disciples throughout the book of Acts. In Acts 3, we have the first healing after the indwelling. We see Peter healing the crippled beggar. But what happens after the healing is even more significant. We see Peter preaching the gospel to the Israelites, reminding them of just who it was that murdered the Son of God. And in verse 13, we hear him witness that Christ was indeed resurrected. It reads, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant, meaning Jesus, of course. So what we see is Peter preaching Christ and Christ crucified. In chapter 6, we see the repercussions for lying to the Holy Spirit when Ananias and his wife Sapphira fell down and died after keeping back part of their proceeds. The Holy Spirit also oversaw every aspect of the church's advance in the first century. Acts 9.31 tells us, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was built up. Living in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. So here, we see not just the beginning of the church, but the growth of the church throughout the world. The New Testament illustrates that the Holy Spirit works God's will by filling believers with his presence and power. He firstly convicts us of sin, as we read in John sixteen eight, And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. This conviction is the first step in showing us our need for salvation. After that, the Spirit continues to reveal our sins during our entire life, so we can continue to confess and receive forgiveness. John 16, 13 tells us when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. The Holy Spirit teaches about Jesus Christ and God's Word and helps us discern the difference between truth and error. Ephesians 5.18 tells us to be filled with the Spirit, that we surrender our life to him and allow him to do his work in us. Charles Stanley said when a person trusts Jesus Christ as Savior, he or she is saved and steps from darkness into light. He said, but believers do not then just stand around. As followers of Christ, we fall in step with the Holy Spirit who helps us to stay on our feet when we're wobbly, to move uphill without tiring, and to stand again after we have fallen. He says we rely upon him as our guide, comforter, and source of strength. We know that it's the Spirit who produces fruit in a believer's life. Galatians 5:22, 23 tells us exactly what that fruit is. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. To be honest, I don't remember having many of those qualities before I came to Jesus. As a matter of fact, I don't see much of those qualities today as I look at the world. And as we often remind each other, there is no hope in this troubled world outside of Jesus. John 14, 17 explains why there is no hope in the world. It reads, this is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. There is no hope outside of Jesus. My own hope lies in my resurrection, knowing that it will no longer be hope once I'm called home and sit at the feet of Jesus. So we see that the Holy Spirit has many, many roles in completing the will of God and his plan for mankind. It surprises me in our traditional Methodist church that we don't speak about the Holy Spirit every week. Now, our churches pretty much do, but I don't remember hearing much of the Holy Spirit as I came up through the the Methodist tradition. I'm not sure why we got away from that. He is active in every part of our lives, and yet we barely talk about it. The Holy Spirit serves as teacher, counselor, comforter. He strengthens us, inspires us. He reveals the scriptures to us. He convicts us of sin. He calls ministers into ministry. And of course, we know that he is the intercessor for our prayers, that he prays when we don't even know what to pray. And the Holy Spirit blesses us to be a blessing to others as we continue to grow our churches. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 assures us to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Each believer has received a gift or gifts that manifests the Spirit's power and presence for the good of the whole church community. Romans fifteen thirteen tells me and you abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Join us next week. As we look into that power, let us pray. Father God, whose blessed Son was revealed to destroy the works of the devil and to make us the children of God and heirs of eternal life, grant that we, having this hope, may purify ourselves even as He is pure, that when He shall appear in power and great glory, we may be made like Him in His eternal and glorious kingdom, where He is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our energies and our resources are claimed by whatever is truly most important to us. If God is the center of our lives, this will be apparent in what we give. From God, we have received love so amazing that a lifetime of thanks is an inadequate response. We move to the offering this morning, and I just say, as I do every week, thank you. Thank you so much. I know that more money went out into the community this week, blessing people that are in need. Um, That neighbor that I told you about is going to see her husband for the first time in three weeks. Um, She's leaving with, with a check from one of the churches, or I should say with money for gas from one of the churches. That all came from you. You're a part of that. Those who give to the churches, you get credit for that goodwill as well. The Father sees what you are doing. So I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Let us pray. Father God, architect of the universe, you have wonderfully made every delicate intricacy of this world. Then you placed human beings in the center of it as we stumble our way through living our lives in union with your will and in harmony with creation. As we offer our gifts and offering this morning, we thank you for sending Jesus to show us the way in simple language, loving you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and in loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. May our gifts this morning be dedicated toward making both a reality. In Christ we pray. Amen. As we go out and share the good news this week, May we keep God's words on our lips and in our hearts. May we meet both friends and enemies with the same forgiveness and grace that our Lord shows us. And now receive the benediction. May God, the provider of green pastures and quiet waters, be the peace in your hearts today. May Jesus, our guide on the mountaintop and valley deep, be the hope in your hearts today. And may the spirit of truth and knowledge, comforter and friend, be the strength in your hearts today. Amen. Until we meet again, brothers and sisters, may God bless and keep each and every one of you. Please stay safe and stay in his word. God bless you all.